1: podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Thursday, March 17th. It's going to end up being a two-mini-break Thursday here at Cracked Rackets. I already recorded a solo podcast on all the results from Wednesday's action at Indian Wells. Of course, the majority of tennis fans right now have their attention grabbed by the 1,000-level event happening over in California, part one of the Sunshine Swing, of course, as we have Miami coming up on the horizon. But as always, there is so much happening in the tennis world at once. Of course, we see young stars on the Ascension at Indian Wells. We also have some fantastic challenger action happening across the globe. I believe we have four of them happening this week. One of them happening stateside. Oh, excuse me. Three of them happening this week. One of them happening stateside here in Phoenix. Arguably the highest level challenger you'll see on the 2020 calendar. It has produced some fantastic results. I want to talk about some of the big picture things at Indian Wells, as well as some of the non-Indian Wells Pro results happening across the globe. And if you're going to do that, there's only one man you can turn to to talk about those sorts of topics. He is our guest here on today's show, a man you know best as a contributor for our website, CrackRackets.com, whether it be as host of the Monday Great Shot podcast, breaking down all things the ATP Challenger Tour. Of course, you know him as a writer for our website for popcorn tennis last word on tennis a prominent yes prominent tennis twitter personality great head of hair as well it is my friend damien coos damien welcome back to the show i've missed having you how are you doing my friend
2: hey i mean these introductions are great You, you always feel like a star every single achievement of yours just gets listed out and you just sound like this wonderful person which I am of course Uh, very happy to talk about Indian Wells and and all the other stuff as well
1: yeah I know I try to list out the resume usually it's to make up for the fact that I'm always 15 minutes late so I'm like let me just kill them with flattery then they can't be that angry with me but of course uh, always great to have you on the show and I know despite not coming on this podcast with me you remain busy and of course I'm always listening to you and Jakob Break it down, all the challenger action over on our Great Shot podcast. You've written about a plethora of different topics. People can read your work and find it all on your Twitter handle, of course, as well before we get into any of the more recent results though the last time we had you on this show we talked about your top 50 players I forget what age it was I want to say 21 and under uh, right 99 now. or
2: later yeah, uh, born, born, nine, born 99 exactly or later. it was yeah. like a li-
1: exactly so 21 and under isn't the purest qualifications yeah born 1999 or later and you know we had a couple of debates and one of the players I wanted to harp in on is you were much higher on the young Brit the lefty Jack Draper than I was, and I had the chance to see Draper play back in the summer of 2019, and again, he was like 17 years old at the time I saw him play, and you know, watching him slowly rise through the challenger ranks, he had some wildcard opportunities to play at the ATP level as well, big lefty, you see the serve, you see the forehand, but I wasn't sold on everything else, well then he rips off this monumental start to the ATP Challenger season. And of course, all I could think while he was doing that is, man, I was wrong. Damien was right, as always. As such, I want to offer you the chance for the victory lap. I'm not taking the complete L, but I think I underestimated how advanced his serve, his plus one game, particularly indoor hard courts, which is where we started for the majority of the season, how advanced he is at that point. And it's just clear to me now, like he does have the top 100 weapons.
2: Yeah, I mean, and another thing that she, that we definitely mentioned was the control over his ground strokes. Yes. That he wasn't really doing, you know, anything in rallies, just mostly smacking the ball and hoping that it was going to be in. And I, I just think no one could have predicted that in this little month of the off season, he was actually going to turn his game around, you know, 180 degrees. This is. Uh, th- this is completely shocking to me and even though I had so much more trust in him than you did I, I mean weapons was definitely something I you know, uh, as you said you're seeing it now that I think the weapons I was sort of sold on already but the rally tolerance what he's doing right now not right now but what he was doing in 4L, uh, just, you know the, 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 the newfound control over his ground strokes is just incredible and I think no one could have predicted that in just a month he would get to this level. Uh, right now, it's just looking like, you no, know, no, top 100 is right around the corner. Perhaps perhaps not r- right around the corner because you've got the play season coming now and it's still a little bit of an um, enigma how he will do. I mean, last year he was fine, but he just played ITFs. Uh, there were some stacked names there, but the stacked fields, but honestly, it's still very, you know, the, the, the sample size is so small. But if there's more uh indoor challengers for him to play perhaps more 40 because he's like what it's 15 one right in in forly this year lost uh, lost first round once and won won three challengers uh so perhaps in the indoor season uh in late know, november october i think getting to the top 100 is just a matter of time really and it's it's incredible what he was able to do in just a month literally so uh Good job to his coach, probably. Yeah. Do we, and give, the, I, do
1: we uh-huh. give enough love, by the way, to Forley, who has already hosted five <laughs> challengers yeah. this year? It's just like. What a, what a city. What a remarkable achievement. And I, I apologize, I didn't mean to cut you off to everything you no said reasons. I would echo. Just to throw in again the context, he's won three challenger titles this year, 17-2 and two overall. As such, he rose to a new career high, number 145, uh, currently at number 146 in the latest edition of the ATP rankings. And look... Doesn't turn 21 years old until the end of December. And, you know, that end of December birthday is a great birthday, in my opinion, from a tennis perspective. You have the whole year to play, right? You're age 20. It's just the cleanest of the bunch, in my opinion. To a certain extent, it doesn't matter, but it's just the cleanest of the bunch. This is his age 20 season, and he's won three challenger titles or, like, already. And, you know, again, we haven't even hit the back half of the year. And now in terms of as you make your rankings progression and I know this isn't a new fact for you Damien but for our listeners and we talk about this all the time well what are the various stages first you're winning futures events you win enough of them now you can get into challenger qualities now you can play challenger events well first you got to make a bunch of different quarterfinals if you make like five six quarterfinals now you're in the top 300 now you're probably going to get it into every challenger event you want to play To make that next jump, to get into the top 250, top 200, make ATP Grand Slam qualifying events, you have to win challenger titles. And Jack Draper has done that here at the start of the season. And now, you know, he's an IMG guy, or at least was, and, you know, he's gotten plenty of wild cards early in his career. He doesn't have to rely on those wild cards as much at the French Open, at the U.S. Open. He can get in on his own merits and, you know, again... When you look at the numbers, and I think when you watch Draper play, big lefty, big serve that's always going to appeal to you, right? I still have somewhere in the back of my mind that I'm convinced Yuri Vesely, like, he's still going to be top 20 someday. He's 6'5 left. Whoa. Come on. No, he's not. He's not. Whoa. He will not be. But, like, in the back of my head, I'm like, but, like, what if he just serves well for three months? Like, what if he just plays a really good Los Cabos, then a really good Atlanta, then, like, a really good city open stretch? Is it absurd to see that out of him? I don't think... It is absurd. And if he does, it, <laughs> I'm just saying. I'm just saying. It's not because he's what, like 29 years old. You know what? Yeah, it's not he's, gonna. He happen. looks
2: tired, honestly. Like yeah. he, he really looks tired of tennis. And I obviously, I'm saying this after Dubai, which is super yeah. weird. But his movement, his fitness have really deteriorated over the years. Mm-hmm. And I, th- this is only why, you know, this is the pure reason why I'm not seeing this. Like, if you told me this two or three years ago, I'd say, okay, yeah, very possible. Yeah, for the record, you're right. But the point is that
1: I can say that take without bursting out into laughter is the point of it's always good, to right? What tennis player, tennis fan, or tennis coach has ever but said like, hey, you wanna work with the tall lefty? And they're like, ah, nah, no, I don't like it. Like no <laughs> one has ever said that before in their lives. And no. so that's my whole thing is like Draper from the get-go is that. And you look at the numbers, it's reflective of that. He's won 80% of his first serve points here in 2022. Forget the hold percentage of 87%, which of course amongst top 50 players would be a top 10 sort of number. Now, of course, you have to adjust for the level of competition, but amongst his level of competition, he is amongst the elite of the elite. But he's winning 80% of his first serve points, like just right away. That's ridiculous. That on its own could be the breakaway stat. But here's the thing I want to talk about, David, and I love this. We're doing this is why only you, because we can do 10 minutes. Well, there are a couple others. David Gertler, Jakob, I don't want to say, wouldn't do this as well. He's breaking serve 31.7% of the time this year. That's an elite number. The 30% club is the elite of the elite. Rafa, Djokovic, why are they the best of all time? Because for their careers, they're around 32, 33, 34% break percentage. You see Schwartzman's in this category. Carlos Alcaraz, who we'll get to in a little bit, he's in this category as well. But Jack freaking Draper is in this category right now, and like, you no, know, has he played the toughest schedule, gotten the biggest wins? No, but this is against guys like a Max Martirer, a Tim Van Rijevin, a you know Quentin Halys, who are all going to hit the pig first serve at a minimum, and he's breaking serve at an elite rate. That is a development I never saw coming from Draper, and it gets back to something you said earlier how comfortable. He's no longer aimless at the back at the baseline, right? Like, there's now just a plan to what he's doing. The backhand has become far more fluid. First fluid alert, that was for you, my friend. Um, I just think Drape, I just think he's got it. Like, uh, he has taken a, a progression in every stage of his game this year.
2: I think what you said about the return stats is very important because the serve can easily be explained by the very fast conditions in Farley. Yes. Like, really, it's one of the Probably one of the fastest indoor hard challengers out there. Uh, not not quite the carpet ones, not quite ortisei but for these, just right behind them, probably and that the, the serve stats can just be explained with this because he played 16 out of his 19 matches in 40 this year uh but the return stats yes this this was like the real shock that he's breaking guys like jay clark so much no maybe jake Clark doesn't have a big serve but i, remember, I just remember him basically winning every single uh, service game that clark had but uh the final he he had against ivan right 6-1, uh, 6-2, breaking him four times. I can't remember the exact number of how many breaks team had on him before uh, getting into the final. But in these two or three weeks that Van Rytoven himself played in Forley, he was basically you know unbreakable. And then he ran into Draper, and 6-1, 6-2, uh, a demolition that didn't seem possible. And th- this is the this is the shock here because I believe the 80% first serve points won. Uh, you know 16 out of 19 matches in 40 this is just very easily you know, brought down as an argument uh, but breaking 30 times in these very fast conditions is certainly something that was uh shocking when you compared to how draper used to do on such courts last mm-hmm. year and definitely something that has allowed him to uh to, to do that too, to just amass free challenger titles in in three months, which by the way was like the first time since 2016 that uh that someone did that. Uh mm-hmm. so you know remarkable achievement really at this stage of his career and, and even more proof that he is actually going to go far. And perhaps he's you know, you mentioned that this is a victory lap for me. Uh, but I certainly <laughs> never expected him to be at this point uh right now in the middle of March. He's gonna play Miami now because as you mentioned, he's he's an IMG guy, I think. Probably still as he as he got the wild card, uh, but but which was something to be expected given he played Miami also last year. Uh, but I never expected him to be going into Miami while I don't know, barely not making the main draw. Well, this is obviously a stretch, but uh, but just being at that 146 right now in the world is uh, is something I would have never guessed really.
1: Yeah, we're 13 and a half minutes in, so this is the first time I can say the name Thomas Matschak. You know, he was so good at the start of last season at the challenger level, right? Kasper Juk was a guy who was winning just about every match he played in the indoor hard courts. And then things leveled off for them throughout the rest of the season. Now Matschak went on, right? He played Indian Wells this year. He qualified, looked really good on his way to doing so. Draper's going to have a bigger spotlight on him because he's going to have more opportunities right away. As you mentioned, he'll be in Miami. I bet we see him in Wimbledon as well with a main draw wild card, which of shocked course. me. Queens, if we of don't. course, yeah, yeah exactly. I mean, and so, he made
2: quarters at Queens last year. And so, so
1: he's going to get the big opportunities fascinating beyond even that because we're going to get to see him at some big high level events how does he do on clay like how does this his game his weapons translate on the surface more importantly that new fluidity we're seeing in his movement does that apply to a non hard court because obviously you know Taylor Fritz has moved the lights out at Indian Wells but like let's put him on clay courts and again while it's gotten better it's still a fish out of water how will Draper perform on the clays that's going to be something to note. but that's something I wanted to talk about here today I also wanted to talk about the development of another young stud on the ATP tour. Of course, that's Carlos Alcaraz, who I don't know if he's the story right now at Indian Wells, but his ascension into superstardom, not just future stardom, superstardom right now on the ATP tour. I mean, folks, he's that good right now. And... You know, our crack Rackets listeners are so sick and tired of hearing my top 10, 15, 20, 25 clubs ranking those top 25 in both hold and break percentage. You look in terms of 2022, <laughs> the big thing for Carlos Alcaraz, and obviously the break percentage has always been laughable. He was over 32% at the challenger level. You look for Carlos Alcaraz in his career, and again... He is still 18 freaking years old, Damian. In Carlos Alcaraz's career to date, his break percentage in ATP level matches, 32%. I mean, that's just a joke. He's breaking serve 39.1% of the time here through his matches this season. Like at a certain point, you're just asking yourself, well, what are we doing here? And I've made this point on other podcasts. I haven't said it to a guest yet because I've been solo on those pods. I want to say it to you and this is something I've talked about dating back probably to last year's U.S. Open after he beat Stefano Seeds I think was the first time I made this comment on the podcast. He has so much work to be done in his career. So many things have to break right for him to end up as the greatest of all time. But right now, perhaps most significantly, is he's not not the greatest of all time. And, like, 99.96% of tennis players, by the time they're 18 years old, you know, like, all right, sorry, you're not going to be the greatest of all time. Like, you can still be really, really good, but you're not going to be the greatest of all time. I can't say that about him right now. It's just, like, the continued improvement, whether it be, obviously, the break percentage, the fact that somehow in a six-week offseason—I don't know why I looked at my wrist there. Damien saw me do it I, for to get the time correct. In a six-week season. He somehow put on 10 pounds, 15 pounds of muscle during that stretch of time. And of course, it always helps to be 18, but he did it. 15 pounds of muscle, whatever it is. And you just see that muscle manifesting itself, whether it be the improved depth on his backhand and just his ability to drive through that shot. That's not something he could do when he was ascending up the challenger ranks in 2020, Damien. Obviously, for him to hit the forehand as big as he does, he had Monfils second-guessing himself. And... You know, at least t- I'd say tenish times yesterday He successfully drop-shotted Gael Monfils And to do that at Indian Wells Like might be one of the three hardest things to do in tennis And it's just the complete skill set And so I guess my question to you with that major preface And I can introduce some stats uh, here after I hear your answer as well has he gotten better? Like, at what, because to me, I think he had, like, he, he obviously was incredible at the challenger level, and to rise the way that he did is why he was branded a young star. But I think he's taken it to an even another level. It's just like, in terms of imagination for his ceiling now, there is no limits. I am now thoroughly convinced, and there's like, again, the kick serve he hit against RBA, which I tweeted out yesterday, which was the most ridiculous serve I've ever seen. I don't know if there's anything on a court he can't do, Damien.
2: Yeah, I mean, there are no limits for sure. Like uh, There was that uh, rain delay against Berrettini in Rio uh, at the beginning of the third set, and I remember tweeting out that uh, this second set that he lost there was exactly why I don't think he's ready to contend for big titles yet. (laughs) <laughs> okay. He hasn't lost since, and it absolutely right now it looks like he actually is. Yeah. Uh, I mean, what I mostly meant by that was just eliminating these poor patches of play, which are very natural for him because he plays so aggressively. And even against Berrettini at the Australian Open when he lost to him, I mean, for the for the most of the match, it just felt like he was the better player. Uh, definitely dominated the baseline there, which seems sort of natural because bertini obviously has other assets but not many players on the tour have been able to like really do that just completely take over the ground against bertini even though his strengths obviously don't lie in long rallies and and i mean he's alcaras is on you know or like on a ridiculous track of progress if you mm-hmm. compare it i've used this argument before it's obviously utterly ridiculous. But if you compare him to Nadal at the same age, Nadal won the French Open turning nineteen during the tournament. Alcaraz can win the French Open being a month older or something like this. <laughs> I mean It's ridiculous. I'm not so saying he will I did something
1: that. similar with Jeff Sackman and I went back and I gave mm-hmm. him the list of players because I looked at all the contemporaries. And to this point, Djokovic and Nadal are the only two who to the similar stage of their career had accomplished more at the age that Carlos Alcaraz is now. Andy Murray, a little bit worse. He's almost there, but he was a little bit worse. Alex Virev, pretty close as well, a little bit behind the pace of where Carlos Alcaraz is at. Yannick Sinner, same deal, a little bit behind the pace of where Alcaraz is at. And Sinner, by the way, we're going to do this segment in a second because I think it'll be a fun one. But on cross-offs for the greatest of all time of active players like who can we definitively say right now on tour is not going to be the greatest of all time because I'm actually fascinated to hear your opinion I think that could be a fun segment Um, again unplanned so just listeners that's why I'm telling Damien the full story there but Federer Alcaraz is ahead of as well from a pace perspective now Jeff's point was well okay how many players have been at this point before whose careers ultimately either turned around in a negative fashion or who just weren't able to take that next jump and who just kind of teetered out at the level that they were at? And I said, Jeff, that's a great question. You're the numbers guru. You tell me and then we can do this segment on a different show. Um, but that's a very fair argument is there are plenty of people who have gotten off to hot starts and either fizzled out or just you know, weren't able to continue to take that next jump you have to take. The thing for Alcaraz is it's just like, okay, you thought he looked really good at the U.S. Open? He he beat Bautista Good and dropped fewer than four games. Like, that was this week. Like, he wasn't doing that three months ago. Like, and it's just, again, whether it's the noticeable physical improvements, the noticeable tactical improvements, and yet still the same framework of the talented kid we saw as a 16-year-old having success, I agree, like, I don't think we're being hyperbolic here. I think he is that good, like am I being, am I wrong to say he's not the greatest of all time yet, but he's also not, not the greatest of all time? I don't want to spoil the next
2: segment that you have, you know, the the unplanned segment, but he's one of, or maybe even the only player I could honestly say that about. Okay,
1: perfect. No, that's, that's a great transition, so now let's get into Uh it. I think there are a couple of obvious choices you got to go with, and I think we have to start, and I'm going reverse order here. But you probably go Yannick Sinner next, who has made quarterfinals of a Grand Slam, who has made the finals of a Miami Masters vet. Now, he's dealing with COVID right now, and clearly it's affecting his health. Did you watch him at ATP Cup, though, Damian? Didn't we talk about this afterwards? Like, how incredible he was just blitzing through all these opponents who weren't on his level. And does he have the flu... You know, I, I view Sinner as the in-between of Carlos Alcarez and all he can do and the extraordinary power tennis that Felix Ogierale plays. I think if there's a middle ground, it's Yannick Sinner, who can play that ridiculous power tennis of FAA, and that's what he's most comfortable doing. But, like... Don't sleep on the fluidity. Don't sleep on the outer third stuff. He's also a much better volleyer for someone whose size, you know, you wouldn't scream this is a guy who overwhelms you with the way he moves forward. At the same time, it's like A for Sinner. Has he had an eye-popping result the way that Carlos Alcaraz has had, whether it be over Pass or, you know, because when Sinner beat Zverev at the 2020 French Open – you know Zverev was sick or whatever and it just like it wasn't a surprising
2: loss he beat Tsitsipas as well right in Rome that year obviously yeah, but, it's uh, but, Rome uh, not, not a
1: slam, but yeah. you're right you're, you're right good call that's why again he's like the he is the border right now where it's just mm-hmm. if he's gonna be the greatest of all time it's gotta start happening pretty quickly although he's still just yeah. 20 you know he's not even 20 and a half I don't think or if he is he's like just 20 and a half I'm not quite willing to cut him off yet. Like, he's got one half of the X through him, but not the double-cross.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's just so ridiculously tough to become I know, the gracious the great. whole time. <laughs> and I mean, we're assuming that uh, after the big free. Yeah. I mean, I don't know, I, I, I didn't really think about health, but after the big free, things are going to be a little bit more open. Sure. And that kind of works both ways as an argument as to whether it would be easier or tougher because, I mean, you could just theoretically run away with 30 slums if the big free took 60, 61 of them mm-hmm. for, the, <laughs> for the time being, maybe, maybe even more. Uh, I am sort of not sold on the idea that Sinner can still be the greatest of all time. It's just so ridiculously tough. Uh, and I, but I agree that it's gonna happen. It's gonna start happening Well quite here's the thing. soon. You talk about that door
1: opening, and I think this is why the mm-hmm. Alcaraz success has felt so real, is because it feels like okay, if that door opens, who's gonna yeah. run through it? And it's just like Carlos Alcaraz. And he might do it right now. And like, if he wins a slam before these big three guys are officially retired, well, then he's the heir apparent. Well, now you can put the crown on his head. And I think everyone's ready to do just that. And it's like, it's a countdown to when, not if he's going to crack the top 10. It could happen as soon as this season, particularly, again, a big French Open, you know, a, a big result at some of the Masters events on clay, where he has a bunch of opportunities to pick up points. Like. It, it feels very much in the cards. It feels very natural. Sinner's made a bunch of quarterfinals and, you know, again, rounds of 16s, but seeing him in that big final outside of Miami, which was just a weird tournament, you know, no Nadal, no Djokovic in that field. Still waiting for, again, that big signature Sinner run who's been really good, but he hasn't had that great. That signature, great, here's what I point to. Like, I was at the City Open. I thought he was exceptional there. But a win over Brooksby and a win over Mackey in the final, like, that's just not eye-popping. As much as people who were there can say, well, he was on the level, I want to see you do it against a Rublev here in a final. Or, like, uh, it would have been great to see him play Kyrios and, you know, those guys back-to-back-to-back and have a chance here, and it's a shame that he's sick. At the same time, I can't disqualify him because he's 20, and it's like that's that's why it's still the window is open to where if it starts this season now again, I that's why I don't think you can disqualify him. Mm-hmm. So final, so you are you would you put the cross off or no?
2: Probably yes. I mean, okay. he just hasn't really stepped up in these matches like uh, against Tsitsipas at the Australian Open. Um, who did he lose to at the US Open? Zverev, I think so. Yeah. Yeah, like, like, these are the matches where you could really just, you know, this is this could be a breakout win. A yeah. fourth rounder, a quarters of a slam. This is, this is something that I'm just currently lacking. And Alcaraz, even though he's two years younger, he's sort of already done that. And if they, if given the chance again, I would just much easier, you know, the, the idea that Alcaraz is going to get something like this. Yeah. That he's going to go to that final four stage of Islam slam is just so much more... Uh, you know plausible to me right now than than sinner. I just I it's I'm not saying he's never gonna get there, but I think it will take him enough time so that becoming the greatest of all time is probably not possible.
1: Fair. This is a great conversation. There's just a smile on my face. That was a great <laughs> it's just not possible. This is great. All right, we're gonna rapid fire now. Alex Virev. Eh, not anymore. No, I agree. Think. Windows closed. Not closed. The, he yeah. had a window open, but the window has closed, no doubt about yeah. it. CC Pass.
2: Also, not anymore. I agree. Uh, yeah, just not. Uh, the only slam that I can realistically see him winning right now is probably the French Open, really. Yeah. If, like uh, this year, let's say, yeah, but uh, after feel like that for sure. there's a Wimbledon yeah. at some point
1: in his future. Like, if the backhand return can somehow get better, then like that is the only
2: thing keeping him away from a Wimbledon. That's a title. huge if. Though. Yeah, like, that's, that's a huge if <laughs> yeah. for most of for most one-handers. Like, has there ever really been a one-hander with a great backhand return, especially block? Well, and I mean, here's block, the thing: maybe. people would consider Pete
1: Sampras's but... garbage good in the '90s, but it's like, okay but in the real world, here in 2022, no. Like, I agree with you. That, I, yeah, like, I... Vavrika and
2: Federer had good block returns. Gasquet? That's for sure. Not really, I agree with you. Like, even then, uh, not really. Yeah, and right now, all these one-handers that we see, like Shapovalov, Tsitsipas, they they all suck at this, so. Yeah, <laughs> I would
1: say Pat, uh, John McEnroe was the no none of them? I agree with you. There's
2: not a single. It's not, very it, tough. To, very yeah. tough to compare with anyone in the 80s. The yeah. the, the pace of the serving was extremely different. Fred the Perry's technology was different. One-handed backhand <laughs> return.
1: Yeah, for sure. Yeah, just a knife. Let me tell you. You know, they say Fred Perry's backhand uh, return was the most effective weapon in World War One. But with that said, again. I think there's some obvious ones, like Rublev, you know, if it's not Zverev, if it's not Spots, oh, I forgot to say Medvedev, who, I think all three of those guys could be all-time greats, greatest of all time is off the table, they're just too old, I would agree. If
2: anyone out of them, it's Medvedev. (sighs) No? So, you're right. If he won the, okay, if he won the Australian Open final, what would you say right now?
1: No, it's a me thing. This the is, same. Has, and so the, so it, no, the just, Australian why. Open final has he, no barrier Here's why this. I disagree. Okay. Because I think okay. Zverev can still be just as good as Medvedev on hard courts. But Zverev is just a better player than Medvedev on clay courts. And like grass courts, sure. both of them are just kind of like, eh. And so it's like, that is why I can't say definitive. But, but Zverev, like, we've seen it now for years. The second serves, not issues, aren't going anywhere. It's just a mental block. And so, like, I continue to have the theory, one of the inflection points in tennis, if Zverev serves out the 2020 U.S. Open final, is the past 16 months, and obviously the allegations come out from Ben would have been right after that as well, which what a pivot that would have been. Like would he have won I mean he won the Olympics does he beat Djokovic in Australia to start the year last season does he beat Djokovic in New York at the end of last season with the confidence of saying well I already got Grand Slam number one Mm -hmm. the answer is not yes but it's also not a definitive no and again I hate to create the perception I'm rooting for, not only Zverev, but any player, but I just can't get, because I know what the best Zverev looks like, and like, fundamentally, he's still, despite being a part of our lives forever, he's still just 24.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think, just one thing I wanted to say is that if one of them, Medvedev for Zverev, or even Sitsipas, pass you can throw in the mix as well, if one of them is going to just clean up his grass court game, and win like two or three Wimbledon's. I think it's Medvedev. Yes. Uh, I just think the flat strokes and the combination, of course, with a huge serve, which every single one of them have. But uh, we've and the seen, size, the size for movement. Yeah, the size too. Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, we, we've seen guys like Djokovic move so well in defense and grass. It's certainly possible. I can see Medvedev doing this. I'm actually uh, kind of surprised <laughs> that he hasn't done. I guess he only played one Wimbledon since he broke out, right? And Since he broke out and he lost to Hurkacz in that, in that weird match where he probably would have won if not for the delay mm-hmm. that they had to the next day, right? I mean, I think everyone's sort of... Yeah. You know, we, we cannot say, say it for sure, but it was looking like he was going to clean that up in four sets. Then he plays Federer, who was in the, by the quarters. He was probably done winning matches in this tournament. I mean, it's... If any one of them is going to win like three Wimbledon's, I'm going for Medvedev. And this is why I, if you're asking about if he can still be the greatest of all time, I would give it like a, you know, a tiny, 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 maybe.
1: And not for Zverev and Tsitsipas. I I like it. Last few names for you, I promise. And then we'll get back to serious stuff. Felix.
2: (laughs) Oh, I mean, I I was- He's in the the sinner category. He's in the vomit zone. Yeah, I was straight up thinking that whoever you're going to say, I'm just going to reply no. Yeah. <laughs> and right now, I'm not so sure. Yeah. I'm With how
1: clutch he's become this year. He I just mean, has it, it in him because the weapons. You're like, when he serves well, when he hits his forehand well, the backhand has gotten better. He's become a better mover. But the, fundamentally, that serve, that forehand, his willingness to move forward, the, the Federer calm you know calm as a cucumber collectiveness that he and the poise he brings on court the it factor which is so unquantifiable and i hate doing things you can't measure and you know but the intangible stuff like he's just got the coolness to be that guy like that's what i'm saying and he's been that guy since he was 14 years old
2: yeah for some reason i just cannot really say yes for someone who hasn't threatened to win a slam yet Uh He made us. He made semis at uh, what U.S. Open, Australia. But, but, I thought this year. Oh, both. Uh, yeah. No, yeah. that was the quarters against Medvedev, right? Either
1: way, point being, yeah. it was his past two Grand Slams and Wimbledon. He's been very good. He's
2: been very good, but hasn't, like, really threatened to win it yet. And I think I just cannot really say yes to someone who hasn't done that. Or isn't named Carlos Alcaraz. <laughs> and is 18 and hasn't been breaking all the age records since, well, like, 2017. 2000- I'm going to tell you 17. this.
1: I only have two more names for you. Or I yeah. only have three more names for you. Excuse me. I guarantee you. This is a guarantee, Damien, you will say yes to one of the okay. names I have left on my list. And, by the way, I'm looking it up now. It was quarterfinals. You're right. Five sets he played. Against Medvedev, the semifinals was the U.S. Open last year. As always, good call by you. All right, <laughs> he's 21, but he's only played like 30 matches. Jensen Brooksby. <laughs> of course not. Come
2: yeah. on. Well, that wasn't the name that you wanted. Me no, to that's say, not yes. the
1: guaranteed yes. No, that's not. Okay. It. By the way, yeah, that's not it. Um, Holger Rune. No, still
2: not. I mean. It's just not topping enough.
1: It's just like where it's just like how is he going to dominate? I could see him winning a lot, but he doesn't have like Alcaraz mm-hmm. the forehand, the speed, you're just like that's dominant. Sinner the line drive on both shots, dominant. Felix the serve, the forehand, dominant. Holger does a lot of things well. The backhand's very good, but I just don't see the dominant from him.
2: Yeah, he's sort of in, you know, in a very weird point right now where he's still 18. But obviously, with his ambition, he thinks he should be doing, uh, whoever you know, some extraordinary results. He's uh-huh. hasn't really done that this year. It's a shame. I mean, not for Berettini or his fans, but it's a shame he didn't win that win that one against Berettini. Because I really would have liked to see him. Like what he would have done later in this event is like a huge enigma for me. Not not greatest of all time, but I totally wouldn't be surprised if he you know, became a. No, they're word number one at some point or something. It's it's still absolutely just you know, a huge question mark for me. It's very exciting that, yeah. that we get to follow his prospects, but, uh, but no, no, no. no. I'm not so gonna right say, now, yeah.
1: and by the way, I'm going to tweet this out because I think it'll be a good... Good draw. You know, every so often you gotta offer some red meat to the tennis Twitter community, and if I say we talked greatest of all time here, all the Fed fans, Nadal fans, Djokovic fans yeah. flock, and it's like, you didn't even mention them once. So again, to recap this conversation, where things stand, in the race to be the greatest of all time right now, Roger Federer, Novak Djokovic, Rafael Nadal have all... Is Federer in the race, actually? Like... <laughs> Do we want to do this? Are we doing this? I don't know. So here's why he is, is because a large population of the fan base says he is. And guess what? They're the percentage of the people who are having this conversation. Now, do I think and do you think Djokovic and Nadal, the body of work, has clearly distinguished them from Federer? I'm going to speak for you here. I think we both think the answer to that question is yes. That doesn't mean he's not in the discussion, though, right? He still is very much a part of the discussion. Therefore, I don't know. He has. To, okay.
2: I like- <laughs> I'm really not sure about this. I mean, I, I, I'm gonna be like honest here. I mean, he's probably my favorite player of all time and all, but I just don't think statistically this makes sense at all mm-hmm. anymore. Uh, I think the argument for a very long period of time was uh, that he has the most Grand Slams, and now that he doesn't have the most Grand Slams, like the argument that the fans have is. You know, look what he did to the game, or how uh, you know, how how beautiful he plays, and that's not really something that can get you into the greatest of all time. discussion. How beautiful, I he, don't pl- beautiful
1: he plays! I agree with you. Importance to the game, I disagree with you. I do think mm-hmm. that has to be significant. Is he,
2: sold, is he so is he so that much more uh, no, so much more important that, than Djokovic or Nadal? I think is that he... he's such he's so important
1: that the one slam deficit he has compared to those two guys mm-hmm. is overcome enough by those contributions that he remains in the conversation. Now, I agree with you. I
2: can so, agree with this, but it's not just about the slam number, right? It's, yeah. uh, it's, it's all, everything else, too. All the other
1: stats. Yeah, weeks like at number they... one, Djokovic has him now. Masters, Djokovic, Nadal has left. He's obviously
2: him. played a little longer, so he's going to have yeah, you know, a more diluted pull. Yeah, he's, but not he's, for uh, I actually mean that as a plus for him. Yeah. Like that he uh, that's he has a more diluted pool of tournaments he plays. But I'm also saying... Uh, the win saying, ratio is going to be smaller. Like, I would lower. also say,
1: though, not for long. It's like Djokovic and Nadal are going to catch up on him on years, especially yep. if, you know, this is the home stretch for him. And, yeah. Again, <laughs> do we want to cross yeah. off Federer? I'm <laughs> not opposed to it. You uh, You know what? <laughs> Let's cross him off. I'm not, I'm not yeah. let's do it. Yeah, we are progressive here at Cracked Rackets. We're going to take this position. We're going to cross him off. That's, uh, I was going to make a political joke. I'm going to leave that aside for now. But yeah, cross off Fetter. So the race for the greatest of all time Novak Djokovic in the discussion, Rafael Nadal in the discussion, Carlos Alcaraz. We agree in the discussion. Now, again, a long way to go, but he hasn't been eliminated from the talk. Yuri Vesely's out. We agree, unfortunately. <laughs> He's just slightly out. Sinner, in or out? Uh, for me, out. But if you want to leave him in, I mean... All right. I You talked me into Federer. I'm talking you into Sinner. Sinner's still
2: in. Felix, okay. in or out? Uh, I'm not even sure wh- which Conditional side... Conditional
1: in, but he's got to get a slam title this year. Otherwise, he's out. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I the same for Sinner, maybe? Sinner's like... got, I think, two seasons. Give him two. Okay. Um, I mean... Does he? I mean, how
2: how is it even Literally because
1: age? he's a year younger than FAA. That's why. He is a year younger. Yeah, and I just
2: never, I never, you know, know which, you know, which Fedder, player is from Fedder which Federer won
1: so many so fast, like, and he was around their age when he started winning. And so yeah. it wouldn't As be... A three, un- so he
2: had to be 21 and something. Yeah, right? exactly.
1: And so, like, again, Felix is 21 and change okay. right now. Sinner's still got a little time. Okay, so yeah. If, if,
2: if, if, if Felix is one year, yeah, and he is for sure. Yeah, so... Uh, then, yeah. So... Okay. Djokovic,
1: Nadal, Felix, Sinner, Alcaraz. This is the one I know you're going to say yes to. Jerry Shang can't be eliminated. He can't. He can't. <laughs> no, like, what has he lost? On.
0: What has he
2: lost? Come on, really? You expected me to say yes to this? I didn't. I don't expect a no. <laughs> it's not a no. I'm going to say a no. I mean, just the oh, way he plays. On. I, I just well, don't see it. Oh, like how my... is he actually? <laughs> Sorry, How is he ahead. winning rallies against competitive players? Yeah, I, I, am I'm, I'm. He's definitely better prepared for the main tour. Like talking of Asian stars than Mochizuki or I don't know uh, Chun-Hin for the matter. Like maybe Chun-Hin is actually debatable. Okay, uh, but these guys have really struggled to translate to the pros. And I mean, I'm not saying Shang will have that, but just to. Uh, Become the greatest of all time. I just don't see it in his game at all. Uh, I don't think he has the, the I power he hits, required. He has. See, the, I, just, I think he hits the crap out of the ball. Like some, just sometimes, like it's not really. He, he cannot really dictate the rally with this. Like he's just sometimes smacking the forehand. Yeah, but, and it, it looks great. It's such a satisfying shot. Like, I I absolutely love watching him for this. But uh, I I just don't. I know okay. he's still. but I would play back
1: very tape much in the of myself talking about Yannick Sinner at the 2019 Lexington Challenger. I think it was 2019. And I thought he had stiff hips. And I was like, (laughs) yeah, like, he hits the ball huge, but I just don't know if he has the athleticism to hang Mm -hmm. with, like, as the game gets better and better. And then he turned 17. And then he turned 18. And then he turned 19. And you're like, oh, not only did he grow, but, like, oh, he's actually this outstanding athlete. Like, that's my thing is this Mm -hmm. kid just turned 17 years old. And he's already ripping through futures events you're right. He got overwhelmed in his ATP debut, but that's an ATP debut for a 16-year-old at the time and I just don't I have I have seen nothing to disqualify him yet. I'll say <laughs> that I just like I don't see an Oh, you're right. Physically he's not there yet, but he's 17. And so I'm not really I'm not willing to cross him off quite yet. He's still a maybe for me. Now I agree he's not on the list of 5 in the discussion, but he's hovering He's hovering. He's not a cross-off. Everyone else is a cross-off, right? Like, I freaking love you, Alex Diemenauer. You're still really young. You're still (laughs) going to have a great freaking career. You're not the best of all time. I think you can even go to someone like Denis Shapovalov, who's made a slam semifinal. Love you, Denis. You're barring something remarkable, because he's got some talent. But barring something remarkable, Denis Shapovalov is not going to be the greatest of all time.
2: I can't say it about Jerry Shake. I just can't. Like, I maybe, maybe. I absolutely can. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I have a, about the movement. I have a little bit of an example from the other tour okay. uh, because I remember watching the Ron Garros match in 2019 between Svjontek and Halep, And remember just feeling that Iga's defensive movement was just so awful. And like that, that was a thing that was going to hold her back. She was, just, she was just, whenever Halep changed directions, she was just not able to run to any of this, even though it was clay, her favorite surface, of course. And then a year later, she won run Garros. Look at yeah. how she slides right now, like even on hardcourts. The defense is just as important as the attack, probably. And I mean, yeah, it, everything can change about Jerry Shang's game, for sure. Uh, for me it's a definitive no, <laughs> <laughs> but I I can understand what you're saying, but at the same time, we can probably then throw in guys who are like 15 or 17. Arthur Fees could be in the discussion, hovering hovering outside the discussion, no. just as well as Jerry Shank. I, d-
1: I disagree. I think what Shang's done at the Futures level is a little bit more ridiculous than what Fees had done or Van Asha or any of those guys. Um... Yeah, that's fine. Fine. You don't want to I mean, have him in the discussion. I, I mentioned
2: Fist specifically, but not, not like guys like Vanash, because just looking at their game, yeah. it's way more similar to what, for example, Carlos Alcaraz brings to the court. Sure. With a big serve, with huge ground strokes. Athletic, athleticity as well. Uh, Van Asch is obviously very small. So, um, I don't know. Uh, just, You're right that if you're looking at results, There's nothing that would disqualify him. Uh, I just don't see it in the game that he has. I just don't think that break, that turnaround, can be just that huge. But I mean, yeah, I understand your point. Again, he's not in the
1: discussion. I'm not crossing him off though, just yet. I'm sad that wasn't a yes, but that was a great exercise. I'm I'm thoroughly (laughs) excited uh, that we did that, and we'll check in on that. I say three months from now. We can have that. Or maybe we'll do it every year. We'll do it once a year, you and I. We can do it in
2: 20 20 years. We're going to know.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Maybe. With how technology is then, a 38-year-old Carlos Alcaraz will probably have lost all of the muscle he put on this offseason so that he can play a little bit skinnier so that his knees hold up at that point of his career. But with all that said, last thing I want to talk to you about, and then I'll let you go, I promise. Phoenix challenger. You look at the action that's happening there. Obviously, I think the cutoff was 81, I believe I learned via a sent yeah, by uh, one Damien
2: Koost. With six alternates, I think. So sure. it's, in reality, it's about 125. I think Vukic was the last one to get but with the alternate spot. But yeah. I
1: think the Atlanta cutoff line last year was like 140. Like, again, you look at some of these ATP events or like the New York Open event. I'm pretty sure you and I were signed up and we were first alternates. And so, like, again, speaks to the strength of this challenger field. You look at where things stand right now. And again, uh, round of 16 action taking place. First,
2: if I could just say one thing, I mean, the the high seeds aren't as high as you would get in an ATP 250, but the depth totally is like the same. Yeah. Like it's the, the depth is actually the same. It's just that the, the high seeds, obviously Paris out of the, the top seed and out of the top 50. So, I mean, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. No. And what's been so interesting is
1: it's not one of those seeds, but it's a wild card. JJ Wolf, who finally healthy, yeah. uh, obviously had some success in Vegas and in those Southwest sunny in the United States conditions, uh, again, having success in Arizona wins over Purcell and Musetti to get to the quarterfinals. Boy, would it be fun to see him play my check. Uh, uh, that would be a very, very fun matchup uh, between two guys who've had a lot of success over the past couple yeah. of months. But, you know, you've got a Kudla versus Gasquet quarterfinal setup. Arthur Rinderkinesh, three-set win over Francisco Sarandolo. Uh, meanwhile, to me, if I'm making predictions here, I'd go Rusevori-Rinderkinesh. I think that's the eventual semifinal up top. Tell me why I shouldn't take J.J. Wolf to advance to the final on the bottom. Tell me why I, any of these guys are... And better hard court form than him. The only one I would say is my check. Like that's it.
2: Yeah, Mike Shack is probably not getting there because he's 0-4 yeah. down in the decider against Bedasco right now. Exactly. There you go. And we actually on the on the Mondays on the Monday show uh, the uh, how is it called ATP, ATP challenges Challenge or Re-Cup, whatever it is. Yeah. Or yeah, whatever the name is. Sure. Uh, we do these winner predictions. I cannot uh, remember right now who. Jakub went for, but I definitely did go Rindernech, and uh, I, I said that I'm very close to a hero call on J.J. Wolf, yeah. <laughs> And right now, if I got the chance to revisit them, I'd go Wolf for sure. So I'm not going to tell you why he isn't winning this, I'm, uh, uh, he isn't getting to the final. I'm actually going to tell you why he's getting to the final and perhaps even winning this. I mean, in Indian Wells, he was amazing. And even if he got to play Mike Shuck, they played at the US Open last year when Wolf was still coming back from that uh, surgery. What was it? Appendicitis or something like this, right? Uh, And he was, like, very fresh of that. It was a very tight match. Uh, Mike Shuck is... Play quite well right now I'm, I'm not gonna disagree uh but i just think wolf is so much better than this uh the, the match he had against bautista good even the the first round he had against oh jesus yeah i'm blanking right now but uh, this was like Purcell, a Purcell. Uh, no, no 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 not in phoenix but oh uh, in, in indian, indian wells uh, uh oh yeah gaston yeah, yeah these, yeah, these yeah. are these are both like th- these aren't opponents that wolf usually likes to play against uh in gaston's case they just defend very well uh a very a a ball that isn't really something that you can easily accelerate from uh bautista good is so methodical so solid from the baseline obviously it was very close wolf was down a set in a double break right so he was very close to getting eliminated in the second set but the, the fact that he did so well in this matchup just indicated uh, to me that he's in amazing form right now and the, the pretty much the only poor match he had since Acapulco was the one against Tsitsipas uh, which was like the, the extent of it was a little bit shocking to me but ever since he just caught fire and this is a game like when, when it's on he can play against everyone, <laughs> like almost practically everyone. Obviously, if he played I don't know, Medvedev right now, I wouldn't sure. necessarily be saying that he has a great fighting chance. But if he's on, he can beat practically anyone with how he just overwhelms you. And he definitely, he's definitely done that against Purcell and against Musetti in Phoenix. Uh, I think this draw is looking great for him as well. Playing p- potentially playing Verdasco right now in the in the quarters, Verdasco just won a challenger in monterey of course but this is going to be his eighth match in two weeks uh and even though he's definitely playing the best we've seen him in like well, a year or two probably I, I i still don't think he's quite on the on wolf's level right now and Gasquet, kudla or mats morang i mean this much probably is over right now right? gas or kudla that doesn't sound threatening at all either yeah really so yeah, i think I mean... the, yeah as you said the only the only guys who can really beat him for me are like Rusevori, Rinderneck, perhaps, I don't know, Eubanks.
1: <laughs> is that crazy? No, I mean, well, if Eubanks serves well, he can beat anyone. Yeah, You know, my thing, Rinderknech, he's just I'm a as well I mean, he's playing lights out, just the bigs. I mean, both wings. He's just the definition of your modern ATP top 50 player. Rusevori yeah. is a guy... I've had my eye on, I mean, for a while, we've talked about him a lot on this show over the years. It's just, again, to me, he's center 0.85. And, like, it's a little flatter on the backhand, but just if he gets a forehand, you lose. And I do think physically he continues to get better and better and more fluid as a mover, and just the second serves a little bit better as well. And just, you know, again, the five-step match he get, played against Felix in the first round of Australia will stick with me because that wasn't a five-step match that Felix played poorly in. Rusevori played him even. And it's just, to be able to have that level, again, Rinderknecht versus Rusevori could, if I told you that was your Noor Sultan ATP 250 final, you'd be like, I believe it. Like, sure, of course. it would make sense. And it's gonna be a Phoenix Challenger semi-final, potentially, maybe, if both guys yeah. can make it there.
2: And it's I think just, we're like, both underestimating uh, Brody a bit, just looking at the draw right now. I
1: don't know, I saw Brody. I just think those guys have the bigger weapons, is the problem.
2: Oh, for sure, I mean. yeah. I'm just, just you know, he 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 tends to be a little unpleasant for these guys like sure. Rindernech or even Wolf, who might potentially could play him in the final. I just think I I was a little bit uh, you I, know, I, I, I I should have mentioned him when I talked about guys that can beat Wolf. But sure. what you're what you're saying about Rusevori? Yes, I mean he if we're talking of Rindernech as a like a classic ADP top 50 player of these days, I think Rusevori fits that bill also.
1: Absolutely,
2: he's just. I, I don't know what he needs to really start excelling, I mean, I always thought that a better transition game could help because he's essentially like what, like a power liner. Yeah. So just finishing points easily is always uh, a great trait to have, so that this is p- potentially something that I think he could work on. But the fact is that since uh, 2019 was his big breakthrough and ever since he's been kind of stale i i i i remember making like an outrageous prediction at some point that rusev warrior would finish can't remember the season probably 2020 higher ranked than Hmm. (laughs) Rude. and i considered him a big uh, a better prospect this sounds awful in (laughs) retrospect right now yeah in retrospect this sounds like i'm just crazy and i don't know what i'm talking about uh I think it's it, perhaps it just shows how different uh, you know, the path of a player can go. Like sometimes there's a guy like Rude, I think my my judgment was very influenced by seeing Rude live in in like 2018 and he was awful in that match and and lost to Artem Smirnov and I I think I was really influenced by this. But regardless, I think it just shows that at some points, it's just impossible to know where the players will go with their games, mm-hmm. and and the, the fact that Rusevorić seems to have such a perfect, complete game for these modern era of tennis just doesn't have to mean much. Yeah. And at, at at the you know right now it doesn't, but I'm still hoping that he can start winning these matches, like, against Australia team, yeah. Sure, we should also point out David Goffin, still alive, and it's just like, ah, eh, we can write
1: him off. Like, I really do agree with you there. I don't think, I mean, not write him <laughs> off, but it's just like he isn't in the conversation of the favorites, but with all that said, and I know you'll talk about it with Jakub next week, any other challenger storylines we should be monitoring here if we're trying to pick up any other matches?
2: Uh, if we're talking, are we talking about Phoenix? Rob's here,
1: all three. It. Yeah, no, not just Phoenix, yeah. everywhere.
2: I mean, in Phoenix, we've got the word number one and word number two playing a challenger, Nikola Mektić and Mate uh, which is absolutely crazy. I actually maybe maybe I will have a question for you. Like, wh- where would you estimate would the viewing numbers be on, on their matches? They still haven't played. They're gonna play tonight. I think for you, it's gonna be 11 p.m. Uh, for me, it's 4 I, a.m.
1: I would say under 1,500 at most. I mm-hmm. just, uh, well, the thing is, though, people are up in Europe, actually, maybe. I don't know. What time is it for you? Like, four, oh, eight? 4 a.m. Yeah. So it's going to be very hard in uh, Europe. Yeah. Mm, I don't know. I, it's just tough. Late night doubles at the challenger level just does not yeah. get a lot of press. Just don't think
2: the fact that it's McTish and Pavic does pretty Yeah, much the thing is, the hardcore
1: gamblers are going to see it and they'll be tuned in. That's the thing that gives me reservations. Okay. <sighs>
2: If they uh, get over had, 1,500,
1: uh-huh. it's a good number.
2: For sure. I mean, we had this debate on the podcast and Jakub said 5,000. <laughs> but he didn't expect that the, it would be scheduled at 4 a.m. Like his big argument was that potentially the Croat fans, sure, uh, the Croatian fans, were yeah. just going to tune in. but it's I don't know if that a, yeah, would four AM. Yeah, but he didn't know that. I mean, yeah. we're talking about it on Monday. So sure. uh, his prediction is you know, obviously going to be off just because his main argument isn't working. I said about 500. Yeah. I I just, I don't trust the fact that people are going to watch doubles in the challenger. I agree with you. I think that's
1: a pretty good bet. I would be shocked if it was anything more than that, but no, that's a fun one to watch too. I apologize. I didn't mean to cut you off. What else else do you got for me?
2: Um, and we we've also got events in Concepción and sure. Rosetto da Abruzzi. I mean Rosetto degli Abruzzi just looks like Carlos Taberner is going for back to back titles. He's been I, I i I'm really struggling to say or write anything about this guy it it's it's not that he's boring sure it's just he's so solid to the core. that it's like really very hard to find something that's it reminds d- me a lot difference. of Pedro Martinez. It, it's just like they're both wow. rock solid. I think Martinez is a little bit... Martinez has a big forehead. That's what I was going to say, of. a little
1: bit bigger weapons. Yeah. But it's the physicality they both both bring. We're just like this guy's Like Taberner is going to beat someone three out of five at the French Open because he's just a nightmare to deal with physically.
2: Yeah, and he he's done that in Rosetta Lleabruzzi. He actually still hasn't lost a set mm-hmm. uh, in seven matches, but there have been like insane mom of uh, games, like against Kovalik, I believe there was one where they went over an hour and a half in the first set. Uh, The whole match was over two hours and a half, I think, and it was 7-6-6-2. So he's redoing that. And I just don't see how these guys can beat him. He's defeated Carlos Jiméno Valero twice. He defeated Nuno Borges in the final last week. And I mean, both of them tried to play an aggressive game. They do have this sort of like Power hitting that can be more or less sustained over time or you know, over an extended rally, but I just don't see how they can actually make any dance in his armor. Uh, Nuno definitely had a thing with the with the drop shots. He's been playing so many of them recently, but you know it's it's a little bit of a double-edged sword at, at least for now for him because more, a lot of them end in the middle half of the net. Mm-hmm. And Concepcion is just. Uh, well, I want to say around the meal but it's just a very standard South American yeah. challenger which is actually a very good thing because you've got all these guys like Varias, Delian, Echeverry uh, Ugo Carabelli I mean, it's just never really gets I never really get bored of watching them and, and matches like you know, varias Echeveri, which we might get in the, in the semis uh, Delian-Tirante is a very interesting quarterfinal I mean, I'm, I'm not really expecting Tirante to win this even though Delian is also coming off, you know, he's also trying to go for back to back titles, so he could be tired potentially. Uh but but all these matches, they just uh, you know, South America get the, gets these very good fields because a lot of these players don't really wanna go to Indian Wells or Miami, even though they could. So 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 obviously this is always a, a pleasure to watch as well.
1: Yeah, no, I mean again, Juan Pablo Varias, my birthday brother, always gonna be rooting for him. I was hoping you'd sneak in a reference to him so that I wouldn't have to, but it's a lot of good tennis across the board. I would say this, and I, I know we've talked about this before, to get back to the big lefty thing. If you haven't, and he's injured right now, so he won't be playing for Tennessee this weekend, you need to watch some Johannes Monday before the season is over. Plays for Tennessee, big lefty, six five, just... You'll like his game. I promise. So you'll Johannes- like some
2: challenger qualities last year. Yeah. Uh, I think and I Knoxville, did see probably. him very briefly. Yeah. I did see him very briefly. Yeah. Uh, I will just check that. Because, yeah. He's Yeah. He just, just, yeah, yeah right.
1: Watch the, watch the film. And so uh, again, I think you'll enjoy his game. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a bunch of college players. I'm going to send you messages about, cause I'm curious what you think about them as well. But as always, as people know, they can read your work, dot popcorn tennis last word on tennis you're everywhere and of course you know we get you every monday on the great shot podcast feed but i know people are asking you to do podcasts elsewhere as well so as always highly recommend they follow you on twitter of course for the latest and greatest updates on all things happening across the tennis world of course if you're looking for further updates on what's happening uh, yourself we've got you covered here at Cracked Rackets whether it's this podcast Great Shot Podcast Cracked Interviews our YouTube channel we are covering each and every level folks of the tennis world all of that content available on the website CrackedRackets.com like rate subscribe review to this show mini break podcast Great Shot Podcast and of course Cracked Interviews to ensure that you don't miss out on any of our content of course a shout out as always to the super producer, Daniel Westhoff, for the f- of an editing job he does day in, day out, making all of this content possible. Any articles, by the way, Damien? I forgot to ask that we should be sitting on waiting for you that you've got in
2: the queue. <laughs> uh, uh, I don't know. I, I haven't really uh, thought of anything. I should definitely start writing more. Uh, <laughs> that, is, that is one thing. Uh, I sort of, you know, sometimes... Uh, when you like have this life of, or, you know, tweeting about tennis and watching mm-hmm. it every day, you just sort of start doing that. And then, you know, <laughs> you just tweet, you yeah. you become like a tweeter basically.
1: You don't need to tell me I have, yeah. a pod- I, why did I start three podcasts a so that I, all my writing has to be 140 characters or less B mm-hmm. it's like, I don't need to write anything cause I'll talk about it on the pod today. Um, and yeah. so, yeah, I, yes, I know. Shout out to anyone that can write. With frequency That's why You know The Rimabu Lails Of the world Remain so impressive Because they just Again They're cranking um, But Yeah no As always It's a pleasure Getting the chance To speak to you So with all of that said For our fantastic guest Damian Kust Our super producer Daniel Westhoff Our friends at Tennis Point By the way Tennis-point.com The promo code is CR15 And for all of us here At Cracked Rackets And the Tennis Channel Podcast Network I am your host Alex Gruskin Damian I know I'm putting you On the spot here It's a mini break podcast Let's flex those memory muscles Do you know what we tell our listeners? that's the break. I love it as always. And we will talk to you all soon. Thank you, Damien.